I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hello, hello, my ragers. How are we doing today? I am feeling a little bit cloudy today. I kind of feel like I've got a tiny little dark cloud sitting above my head as I go through the day. So I'm trying to be a little gentler with myself. I am trying to take little moments here and there to put my hand on my chest and take some deep breaths and check in with myself and try to figure out why I'm feeling this way, but also remind myself that it's okay that I feel this way every now and again. I just got to let it happen and take care of myself because it's clearly a sign from somewhere that I got to take a little inventory on my inside, if that makes sense. A little mind inventory, a little self-care inventory. What am I needing right now? And it sometimes makes work pretty tough. And I think that a lot of people listening to this have probably had these days. And that's why I wanted to talk about it. Even when you love what you do so much, even though I love this show like it is my child, sometimes it's rough. And I gotta say, I've said this a lot, doing these news episodes really (laughs) does a number on me sometimes, especially if I'm already not feeling like I'm in the best of spirits. There's so much ugliness and hatred that is spread throughout this country and throughout this world that focusing on it once a week can be incredibly bleak and can kind of make those feelings of hopelessness a little bit worse. But I also think that every time I'm feeling this way 
and I sit down and I hit record and I start talking with all of you in my head. I am imagining an audience that I'm speaking to so I feel less alone and I do feel better once I can talk it out, get through it and I'm expecting that to work its medicine today just like it has every other time I've needed to feel a little better. So a few quick reminders before I get into the meat of this episode. The first episode of The Feminine Mystique is coming out this next Wednesday. I think I might have misspoken in the last episode. I can't remember because I was like, oh, fuck, did I say I was getting it up like the first Wednesday of the month? The second Wednesday of September is when the first chapter will be up of The Feminine Mystique by Betty Friedan. So if you want to be a part of that, please go ahead and join the Angry Feminist Book Club on Patreon. There's a link in the show notes wherever you're listening right now. But you can also go to patreon.com slash angryneighborhoodfeminist and join the book club for $5 a month where you will get two additional episodes covering whichever book we've chosen for the month. But if you want a little bit of extra something something, you can join the Feminist Faves level at $8 a month, which gives you all of the book club content. It also gives you these episodes ad-free. I get them up a little bit early for you, and there's some random bonus content that I'll put up there every now and again. Speaking of bonuses and randomness, I personally really enjoy the most recent episode that I put up on Patreon discussing, quote unquote, the three times I almost joined a cult. And in that, there's a phone conversation with my mom, which is just full of the best Minnesota accent you can possibly imagine. And it's a really interesting story. It's really funny. So definitely join Patreon to listen to that. My second announcement is just letting you all still know that the other podcast that I am co-producing, Still Learning with my friend India, is out in the world for your consumption. And we are still sitting on our hands a bit with episode two because we are being told to, and I can't really say why right now, but it's driving us nuts. I'm so excited for everyone to hear episode two. But if you are interested in what that interview is going to be, we talk with a now friend of mine, Sochal Martin, who was very heavily featured in the HBO docuseries Unveiled. And she was part of a like generations old cult slash church called La Luz del Mundo. And she and her family, well, her husband and child escaped quite a few years ago. And Sochal and India are also really good friends, and they have spent some time healing together, and it was really such a joy to be a part of that conversation, to get to know Sochal, to have a new friend, and to be inspired by new people. So if any of you are interested in any of that topic, I highly recommend watching that docuseries Unveiled on HBO. Sochal is such a fucking badass. I'm obsessed with her and I know that you're all going to love her as well. But to listen to the first episode of the podcast Still Learning, you can go to anywhere that you listen to podcasts, check it out. Just make sure you're clicking on the podcast with India Oxenberg. There's a cute little mushroom in the logo. Okay, I think that's all the shenanigans that I have for you all at the moment. So let's get into this week's topics. 
The first thing that I wanted to talk to you all about is this thing called Cop City. And I want to give a big shout out to a fellow podcasting pal of mine, Miss Daisy Egan from the show Strange and Unexplained, for posting about this on her Instagram page and making it known to me because I feel like this is something that I had maybe kind of heard about when some events were happening, but I really learned a lot today and I'm pretty angry. Yay, let's get to it. So stop cop city. The Atlanta Police Foundation is trying to build the largest police training facility in the United States in Wheelany Forest in Atlanta, which is an area surrounded by black residents. There's a few different neighborhoods and things like that surrounding this forest. The plans include military-grade training facilities, a mock city to practice urban warfare, dozens of shooting ranges, and a Black Hawk helicopter landing pod. Just right there in the forest, you know, just, just sitting there minding its own business, not going to bother anybody. The Atlanta Police Foundation is calling this Operation Shield. They've created a citywide network of nearly 11,000 surveillance cameras and license plate readers, leading to round-the-clock monitoring of Black Atlantans. I feel like I have mixed feelings about surveillance cameras. I feel like especially because I have been such an avid true crime consumer most of my life, whenever a security camera is involved or a surveillance camera, CCTV, any of that, usually it's there to like help catch the bad guy or whatever. But I also have to check myself and remember that those same tactics can be used to target minorities more easily. And that's where the issue of being surveilled really comes in because it is kind of like a more advanced version of stop and frisk in a way by being able to have, you know, facial recognition and different things like that, which will tend to target people of color. And there has been many, many studies out there. I didn't take notes on this, so don't quote me on them. But I know I've heard about many different statistics out there discussing that AI is racist. Actually, I am recalling something that I saw on John Oliver a few months where he was asking AI to generate different images for him. And then after going through all these pictures, he asked the audience what they noticed about them. And thankfully, I noticed that they were all uh, white people and it wasn't showing a broad variety of what a certain person could look like. AI tends to narrow it down to a very like Anglo-Saxon European looking person. Anyway, back to Cop City. The Atlanta Police Foundation has spent more than $2.5 million on Operation Shield so far, meaning that other groups, such as the At Promise Youth Initiative, which is also part of the multi-million dollar project called the Westside Security Plan, which increases police presence in predominantly black neighborhoods in Atlanta's West Side, which is considered a gentrification pressure area. Ooh, this is such a problem in Los Angeles, such a major problem. I'm even noticing in the area that I am in, in the Valley, which is not like a super bougie area. I'm just in kind of like probably a not super great part of the Valley, but not like in the worst. And I'm noticing all of these new developments and restaurants and all of this stuff that's popping up like within a few blocks of my place. And I'm like, thank goddess, I have a rent-controlled apartment. Max, we're never allowed to leave. It's crazy. And I was driving by 
my old apartment that I lived in by myself for like, God, a really long time. I want to say six years, but my memory fails me sometimes. And there used to be a Ralph's grocery store really, really close to the apartment building. And it was not the best area for me to be walking around at night. So I had to be really careful if I was walking that I went during the day. I usually drove, whatever. So that kind of gives you a vibe a little bit of the neighborhood that I was living in. And now that Ralph's, which used to like literally scare me even when I was inside of it, it's a target. (laughs) everything is being gentrified and it's just crazy. I mean, I think about New York and Brooklyn. I think about, you know, especially any of the really hipster areas in Los Angeles, like Silver Lake and Eagle Rock and all of those areas are becoming more and more and more expensive as more things are being built that are bringing the white people in and pushing minorities out. In 2019, a report by the technology research firm Comparatech ranked Atlanta as the most surveilled city in the United States in terms of cameras per capita. Whoa. Some say this is to increase safety in high crime areas, but the ACLU has said that video surveillance has not proven effective, noting a study which found that because of discriminatory targeting, black people were one and a half to two and a half times more likely to be surveilled. So that kind of calls back to what I had said where AI is racist. According to a report from policefoundations.org, Surveillance and facial recognition technologies have demonstrated racial bias and led to wrongful arrests of black men all over the country, with error rates of up to 35% for women of color. And of course, big tech companies also profit from the sale of consumer surveillance technology such as ring cameras, which can link gentrifiers to the police as well. I don't know a whole lot about this. I feel like I talked about it in a mini episode a while ago, how... The police are using like personal home cameras as a way to surveil neighborhoods. And I don't like it. It's really icky. The construction of Cop City is also growing concerns for the environment and its impacts on climate change. The training center would carve a huge chunk of forested land, which Atlanta leaders have previously agreed to preserve. So they're going back on their promise. But to compromise, the city says officials are committed to replacing trees destroyed in construction. Aw, how fucking sweet of you. The training facility is also located less than a half mile away from a tributary of the South River, which is the most endangered in the country as a result of decades of neglect and pollution in the area. This area was also used as a prison farm for much of the 1900s, where prisoners were subjected to poor sanitation and nutrition and struggled with overcrowding. So local advocates have long asked for the area to be turned into a park and memorial. And many of the citizens of this area believed that that's what would be happening. And they were completely taken by surprise with the announcement for this project. By design, the Atlanta Police Foundation's programs increase police presence and public space surveillance in already over-policed communities. Instead of supporting programs which keep people safe, they are creating a more militarized police system. Protesters who are part of the Vote to Stop Cop City Coalition have been camping outside of the site for years, clashing with police. Since 2021, protests have been active outside the site of Cop City. They've been nicknamed the Tree Sitters as they've built shelters up in trees outside the facility to prevent its construction as well as call attention to the forest's history. 
In December 2022, five protesters were arrested. Then, on March 5th of this year, protesters threw large rocks, bricks, and Molotov cocktails and fireworks at police officers and destroyed multiple construction vehicles. 35 people were detained and 23 arrested with domestic terrorism. And only one of the 23 arrested were offered bond. Things reached new dangerous heights when in January of 2023, a protester named Manuel Esteban Paez Tehran was fatally shot by police. By May of 2023, prosecutors had charged more than 40 people with domestic terrorism charges, which the Human Rights Watch called, quote, an attempt to smear protesters as national security threats. In June, activists announced that they were going to force a referendum that would allow Atlanta voters to decide whether or not construction of Cop City should proceed. The organizers have to gather more than 70,000 signatures of Atlanta voters. It would also have to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars to pay canvassers to help them do this. The activists fighting against Cop City are also speaking out about how much better the money could be spent going toward community programs, toward mental health, financial resources, food and housing programs, etc., In fact, taxpayers are expected to pay about $30 million on this project total. So there's a little bit of background and the latest news. Today, there is now an indictment in Atlanta alleging that opposition to Cop City adds up to a criminal conspiracy. Remember in the last few episodes when I've been discussing Trump being arrested and the different charges against him, so on and so forth, and I was explaining what the RICO charges were in particular because it was his former lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, who came up with RICO, and it's now being used against them. Well, RICO is coming up again in this story as 61 people have been named in a state RICO indictment after a years-long campaign by protesters to thwart the construction of Cop City. And several are also facing those separate charges of domestic terrorism, attempted arson in the first degree, and money laundering. So the way that this whole group is being set up by the media is that they are essentially a terrorist group, and they're being labeled a criminal enterprise. Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr said in a news conference on Tuesday, quote, The 61 defendants have conspired to prevent the construction of the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center by conducting, coordinating, and organizing acts of violence, intimidation, and property destruction. Members of the Stop Cop City Coalition see the charges as an intimidation tactic. Furthermore, the coalition stated, quote, The documents use the day George Floyd was murdered as the date the alleged criminal acts began. This was months before anyone was even aware of Cop City and is a clear assault on the broader movement for racial justice and equality. I couldn't agree more. Especially if they're trying to claim that these acts of protest began way back in 2020, it just doesn't make sense. The activists are being labeled in the media as members of Antifa, and there is a lot of activity on social media regarding this issue coming from the right. And I'm just so sick of being mislabeled as terrorists or as protesters being mislabeled as terrorists for practicing what is totally within our rights as Americans. I mean, maybe not the property damage and things like that, but we do have a right to protest. Yet the same group of people who are calling the protesters terrorists see the people who took part in the January 6th insurrection as patriots. And that's another thing that drives me nuts because in my opinion, it's the people like us who are discussing these things and who are, you know, listening to this show who are the true patriots because we actually do 
want to make this country a better place. We do actually want to make America great again. We want to be able to bring more love and harmony and acceptance and diversity into this country without there being this kind of animosity. But honestly, I just feel like we're at a point where I don't know if we will ever see eye to eye ever again. This whole situation is so upsetting to me. My thoughts are with the people who have been arrested. I'm sure they are fucking pissed off as well. And I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on how this story unfolds. If any of you have any more information, if there's anything that I missed out, or if you have any thoughts and feelings about any of this, please reach out because I would really love to know what you think. Feel free to DM me on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist or email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Before I go into the next topic, I do want to give a quick trigger warning for rape and sexual assault. Though I don't go into any sort of specifics, I will be discussing a very publicized rape case. All right, the second thing that I wanted to discuss today was the sentencing of Danny Masterson, who is most known for his character Hyde on the series That 70s Show. And today, which is Thursday, September 7th, 2023, he was sentenced to 30 years to life in prison for rape. I, I When I saw that notification on my phone, I had to like take my glasses off, rub my eyes, put them back on and look at it again because I was like, there's no way that he got such a heavy sentence, especially because just a couple months ago, Kevin Spacey got off scot-free in the UK for all of his rape allegations. So I really never have high hopes for these sentencings because I just don't think that rape and sexual assault is prosecuted correctly in this country or anywhere for that matter, because there isn't truly an understanding of 
what rape is. And to be clear, rape is not a sexual act. Rape is about power and control and abuse. And another important thing to remember about Danny Masterson in particular is that he is a member of the church slash cult of Scientology. I don't know if you all know this or not, but I literally live a mile away from the Scientology location for the Valley. I drive by it probably like four times a week at least. It's very, very close and on my same street. I'm always like, hmm, maybe I should pop in and see what it's about. And I don't know if y'all saw my story last week, I think, but I was driving by to go to In-N-Out. That's usually where I see it. And it was popping. Like, I usually see cars in there. The lights are on. I can, like, kind of see a few people in, like, the select windows in the front. But there were, like, parking enforcement people there, cops. Both of the parking lots were filled. There was dressed up people, like, ushering into the Scientology building. And I was like, what? is up. It was so bizarre. I've never seen that many people there. It's usually much more low key. I feel like the one in Hollywood and like the Celebrity Center and all of that is definitely more like the place to be. I don't know if Scientology, the Valley is like cool enough, but something was happening. I don't know. Anyway, not about me. This is about this story. So let's continue on. Danny Masterson was first accused of sexual misconduct back in 2017 when three women urged the LAPD to open an investigation, and he was charged in 2020 with raping three women, though a total of five had made accusations, including his former girlfriend, between 2001 and 2003. All three of these women met Masterson through Scientology. I also learned that Danny Masterson was born into Scientology and one of the other women that was assaulted 20 years ago was also born into Scientology. In 2019, four women filed a lawsuit against Masterson and the Church of Scientology for stalking and harassment tactics, which are well known to be used by members of the cult to intimidate and scare former members or anyone they deem to be their enemy. This is called fair game in the world of Scientology, which was a policy established by the cult's founder, L. Ron Hubbard, in the 1950s in response to criticism both inside and outside his organization. Individuals or groups who are, quote, fair game are judged to be a threat to the church and, according to policy, can be punished and harassed using any and all means possible. It has been argued that retributive actions against enemies of Scientology should be considered a constitutionally protected core practice of Scientology, which encourages all members to join in on the harassment to prove their loyalty. So whenever anyone makes an accusation about a prominent Scientology member, such as Danny Masterson, they're fair game. Literally. It's like in their doctrine. And anyone who is still a member of the church is actually showing their devotion by going against these people. So, I mean, I can only imagine the hundreds and hundreds of people throwing hatred and violence at me. It's terrifying. And that's a big reason why people don't leave, not to mention being completely shunned. And I got to say, some of the things that were done to these women are so horrific. And there are so many different events that occur that are awful that I'm not even going to start to get into it on this show because reading it was hard enough. I wasn't about to write it and then have to recite it to all of you. So if you're really interested in any of that, I will have links in the show notes for sources. So if you want to know more details about that, it's available, but it's not going to come from me. Of course, when Masterson's trial began, he pled not guilty. 
There was a hung jury in the first trial, but after the second trial was over, Masterson was convicted on two of three counts of forcible rape. His sentence of 30 years to life is the maximum allowed by law. He will be eligible for parole in 25 and a half years. One of the women said to him in court during the sentencing hearing, You are pathetic, disturbed, and completely violent. I am so shocked by this verdict. I feel like it is so rare that this kind of sentence is handed down for a rape or sexual assault case for the same reasons that I mentioned at the top of this topic. It's not understood. It's not believed. There are so many people out there that won't even make the allegation because the chances of it even going to trial are very slim. The chances of it going to trial and you coming out victorious are even more slim. Not to mention the fact that this person was a prominent actor and was also a very prominent member of the church that they were all a part of. So there's a lot of intimidation, manipulation, fear, abuse that have kept these people down that's been telling them that they shouldn't tell their story, that they're not worth anything, that they have no chance. But they went against those voices and they came forward and they fought against him and they won. And it just makes me so happy for these people who have received what I think is fairly great justice because the chances of this person hurting another woman now are very, very slim. And hopefully he will stay in jail until he rots in hell. But I can't help but think about all of the survivors out there who are existing in the world with their abusers, with their attackers, because there are so many of them who have gotten away with it. And the scary thing is, is that the more a person like that, a predator, gets away with, the worse it becomes. They start becoming more and more dangerous, more and more violent, more and more controlling because they're not being stopped. In fact, they're actually being told that what they're doing is okay because no one is telling them that they need to stop what they're doing and no one is locking them up. I can't help but think of the young girl that I didn't even know that skated at the rink that I did growing up who was abused by a coach from my rink, Tom and Cantalupo, and how he is only serving a 24-year sentence for horrifically abusing a child. I just don't get it. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll leave you with that. I'm happy. I'm sad. I'm angry. I'm mad. I'm a bitch. I'm a lover. I'm a child. I'm a mother. I'm a sinner. I'm a saint. I will not be ashamed. I do not feel ashamed. I'm your Okay, that's everything I have for you this week. I do think that there was a couple other things that I had told listeners that I was going to cover, but because my brain was kind of all over the place this week, I wasn't able to do it. But I do keep all of your suggestions, and I promise I will always get to everything that you want me to discuss. So please, please send me suggestions for news topics that you want me to discuss in the mini episodes or any topics that you want me to discuss in full-length episodes. It really takes the load off of me, and I appreciate it. You can go ahead and email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at angryneighborhoodfeminist. 
Don't forget to join Patreon. You can join the Angry Feminist Book Club for $5 a month, or you can join the Feminist Faves level for $8 a month. Check out Still Learning, the podcast. And also, don't forget to use the Snugbox code. If any of you are looking for a cute little lockbox, whether it be for your edibles or whether it be for candy that you don't want anyone else in the house to get to, these boxes are so adorable. So go check out Snugbox Co. on Instagram and go to their website. And when you check out, use the code FEMINIST20 to get 20% off. All right, that's all I have for you all today. With all that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye. Do you wanna do you wanna say anything to my listeners? Yeah, I wanna say rage on to everybody. Thank you, Mama. <laughs> You've probably heard the name Mary, Queen of Scots, and maybe you know the importance of her legacy to the British monarchy, but how much do you know about her life and what she was really like? For instance, did you know that she preferred to have her eggs scrambled or that giving gifts was her love language? In my podcast, Vulgar History, we'll be talking about all that and more during an eight-part miniseries about the fascinating life of Mary, Queen of Scots. Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were, and it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But I'm dedicated to sharing the sides of the stories we don't always hear, and each episode is supported by rigorous historical research. Turns out there's really something about Mary Queen of Scots. So be sure to turn into my series about Mary Queen of Scots and check out the other incredible women I've talked about while you're there. You can listen and subscribe to Vulgar History wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at vulgarhistory.com.